we made mention of the fact that um, the trying of our faith might be something as simple as living in a very affluent society and that the material comforts of which the Christian Philadelphian body is so familiar with, that in itself can be a trial. And we know this to be true through, well, hopefully through personal experience, but we know it to be true through Scripture because this is exactly what the problem was with Lot's wife. And she's just an example of thousands of us. And that's why Jesus, centuries later, said, remember Lot's wife. And I don't believe there's ever been a time in the history of the believers where the trial of affluence, material comforts, is as great as we see it in the 20th century. And we are in the process of whether we realize it or not of living our faith or failing to live it just because of this condition. And I'd like for us to go over to Hebrews 11th chapter. You know, the, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the whole week in this class could be spent on that one chapter and we still couldn't touch uh, too many phases of what's brought out. So we'd like to go over there and look at this uh, example of faith found in the 24th verse through the 26th verse of Hebrews 11. We'll ask uh, Brother Frank Kaiser to read these verses for us, and let's look at this. 24 through 26. It can... Now, the question is, how could this man turn his back on something so comfortable and that was so appealing to the flesh? And it says here that he chose, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And the fact of the matter is that all through our life, including today, we are making choices of either suffering, of trying to live a Christ-like life, or we are not doing this and we're letting our fleshly nature uh, cause us to act in a way that is most pleasing or that is the easiest reaction we can have to anything that uh, comes across our pathway. And actually what it's saying there is, and it's saying to us, you know, God has not asked us to do something which we cannot do. And so uh, the testing of our faith comes basically and most always in a very natural way. And many times in my life, 
and certainly it must be in your life, the testing of your Christ-like character development is such a natural thing that you don't even recognize it when the test is upon you. And be careful, brothers and sisters, because in the marriage relationship between a husband and wife, a lot of vicious little things can be done in the privacy and the confines of the domestic atmosphere. And it can be very trying to a wife the way her husband does at times. And it can be very trying to a husband the way his wife reacts at times. And it can be a very trying thing for both parents the way their children are doing. And if you've got problems in your personal life of this nature, well, maybe you better stop and think, am I reacting in faith and in a Christ-like manner, and am I passing the test? And it was mentioned in one of the exhortations, and I guess it was this morning. It might, it might have been in this, well, part of it was in the uh, last class. The things are so natural when they happen that we take a fleshly attitude towards it. Now, just for instance, it was mentioned in this class about Isaac uh, seeking these wells of water, and he had a tremendous amount of livestock to water. And if we remember, it was a very desert, dry region where they were trying to uh, pasture their herds. And water was precious. And Isaac got to this point first, and he opened up the well. And then the enemy comes along and says, Move over, buddy. We're taking over. Well, now Isaac could say, huh, Over my dead body you are. And they could have fought it out there. But Isaac was of a meek and an humble, contrite spirit. And he was remembering God. This was his faith being put to a test. He's beginning to live his faith. So he moves on. And he's moving on with quite a herd of livestock. He opens up another hole of water. And here they come again. Said, move over, buddy. Now that, you can imagine how that's, you know, you just, you're getting to the point of breaking. Like, you're just stretching your reel out. But Isaac doesn't give in to that. He moves on. And when he moves on to that third time, God, it says, God, let him stay there. And Isaac was being tested, and he beautifully passed the test. Now, let's put it down into our day. Just at this Bible school, I just bet you you could see a knockdown drag out if a sister or a brother, now you're the individual, and you're in the food line over here, and you're already in that line, and here comes this individual shuffling over and they just move you out of this they don't say excuse me I've got and, they, and you stand there and you, you just start doing a slow burn hey <laughs> what goes here but you go ahead and let them get by with it that's one test the next meal you get in line here comes this person again now don't tell me you're not going to get your dandruff up because I believe you are 
And you might have a knockdown dry out right there. But that's such a natural thing. Did you know we're tested in these little natural things? And a lot of times we don't recognize it. And this is a daily lifestyle that we're living. And we're building character, or we're failing to build character, as these things happen. I know this, and you know it also. You know, when we come to a Bible school, everybody recognizes that we're supposed to be on our best behavior, right? I mean, I, when I come, I'm, I'm just kind of mentally polishing my halo. Have you ever noticed that halo I've got? And I, you're doing the same thing. And you really want to look, you really want to look the best here, don't you? But I guarantee you, if you're watching things very carefully, have you ever noticed some little irritating things crop up among these people here, this family of God? And sometimes it can get to a verbal exchange. I don't know if I've seen anybody come to blows, but listen, I wouldn't put it past us. And that these things happen to us. I've even, and you've also experienced, you've, you've gotten in the car to go to the ecclesia, your wife and yourself, and a little spat starts up, and you're just irritated when you walk in the door because you've had this spat over here before you ever left or when you're in the car. Now, don't tell me you don't know this experience. You mean I'm the only one that's had this experience? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So we can be tested in so such small ways that we don't even realize what's going on. Well, we better realize it. We better realize these things. Now, this 12th chapter of Numbers. Of all the things that Moses had to put up with. Of all the things. And I want, uh, Brother Tom Stanton, I want you to read loud if you're going to read it because you're pretty far away. But I'd like for you to read the first five verses of chapter 12. I'd like to read the whole chapter, but it's too long. So read the first five verses of number 12. And let's look at this little development here. Now, here's a man, he's got his own brothers and sisters on his back, trying all of this hard work that he's got with this stiff-necked nation of Israel. Now he's got his own family on his back. You ever had anybody in your family on your back? It can be very irritating. And it says here, you know, this is a profound statement, that third verse. And Brother Blair brought, he, he came close to this thing last night, and I want to, uh, enlarge upon it because he certainly pulled a, a good example out of the scriptures for us to contemplate. It says in that third verse, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Let me tell you that is a profound statement because what it is actually saying is Moses was of the meekest disposition 
of his contemporaries. And let me tell you, if it was said behind your back by anyone that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is one of the most Christ-like individuals I've met in the Christ-like body, or that, would you feel honored to have that said about you? I certainly would, but I don't much, there's not a lot of uh, opportunity probably for me to ever have that said about me. But I guarantee you one thing, it would be an honorable thing for that to be said about any of us. And that word meat, and this is something that is happening to all of us, and we may not be rising up to the challenge. God is meeking or trying to meek us. And if we're continually rebellious and not learning the lesson, there can come a point in time when He will reject us. He will turn us over to a reprobate mind. And He will, in effect, say, that is an incorrigible son or daughter, and I have no other reason to continue with it. That's a serious thing. I feel extremely grateful that I have learned to a small degree what the Scripture says when the Scripture says God is long-suffering. And I know what that word long-suffering means to a degree because God has put up with me so long with some of the dastardly things that I have done in my life. Now, if that doesn't show a loving father and a patient father, then you tell me what is. Now, you fathers and mothers that are going through some problems in your family, and it gets tougher as you get in the teenage years. I hope I'm not scaring anybody because it gets tougher. And they can present problems which are horrendous. Well, try to solve or try to work out your problems in the home as God has dealt with you. And He certainly dealt with each parent in a loving and a long-suffering way. Well, would you not think that He's expecting us to show a little bit of this towards our families, towards our wives, towards our children. And by the way, that plays the other way. Those children that may be baptized members, they can't take a nasty, fleshly, carnal attitude towards their father and mother. Hey, listen, you teenagers, if you dishonor your father and mother, don't you expect to ascend further to the God of heaven because He's put a hierarchy on the earth and if you can't take the first step, you cannot skip one step and come to God. You've got to work through the process. And if you don't do it, don't think you can go to God. Because, brothers and sisters, you can't. Am I right when I say that? Well, whether you think I'm right or not, think about it. I failed in some of these things. I know it. But a father in heaven was patient enough with me to let me survive to August 1983. And I'm most grateful to him because I was worth cutting off a long time ago. 
Well, little old Miriam and little old Aaron had to suffer for the... Now, this angel, now, this God's talking about, this is that angel that was in the pillar in the cloud. And he took them there in front of the tabernacle and he said, I just want to tell you something. You know it. I've given you every evidence. I chose that man. And when you rebel against that man, you're rebelling against me. And Miriam had a hard lesson. She became leprous. leprous, And she was that way for how many days? Seven days. Now let me tell you, if you were stricken with leprosy as she was for seven days, and it goes on the first day and the second, you think you'd begin to meditate and wonder about something? You know, it doesn't say any further about that. What do you think Miriam was doing when she was cast out? Do you think she was giving any thought to this thing? you think she was concerned about, hey, i got to get rid of this stuff. I mean, she didn't know whether this was going to be healed or not. But I guarantee you one thing, when that woman came out of that situation, I bet she is a meeker woman than when she went into it. Am I right? Your sister's getting any lessons? I'm not just talking to the sister, I'm talking to all of us. Have you known yourself to be meeked? And if you were meeked, and that is submitting yourself to what's... Listen, most the most wonderful thing that you can prove your faith to God is to be meeked or to submit even when it's wrong. And if you sisters have had your husband at times to hurt your feelings and to be unjust and unkind, and they have, haven't you? Well, of course, I haven't. I'm just asking you. Haven't you? That sister shows, if she's strong enough, she's showing a beautiful growth in Christ because she knows it's wrong what he said or what he's doing, and she's submitting for the Master's sake, and that woman is a maturing woman. And the same way with a man that has a cantankerous woman on his hands. And they can be cantankerous. Right? Right. And when he likewise is able to conduct himself in a way under that trying circumstance, then he too is learning to be what, and this is what it's all, what it's all about. You know, they've got me tied up here where I can't do any, anything. And by the way, there's a brother over here. He's really sneaky. What he said to me, he, he said, "Why don't you go over there?" And he wasn't really concerned about me helping you. He just said, "Get out of our hair for a while." And what he didn't know, they said, "Look, we're happy for you to keep him over there." But this is one thing we'd like for you to remember. Somebody finish it. If you have not... <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done that. 
If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. What does that mean? That means if you can't start reacting in the way Christ would react, then you're not Christ-like. Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of growing up to do, and it might have to be done awfully quick. I'm, I'm really ashamed about some of the things of, of the immaturity that I have manifested in my life. And if, if they've ever, you know, heard of a slow learner, you know, they put you in the class of the slow learners. Well, I'm a slow learner. And I bet you there's some other slow learners out here. Would you say there are or am I the only one? Better not say it. Going back to Moses, it was touched also upon last night. Moses knew that he was to be the leader of this people. And you've got a vigorous man of 40 years old. We've got some men in this audience that are around that 40-year age mark. And they're fully convinced that they're ready to do the Lord's work. And I will admit that they are uh, ready to do the Lord's work. And Moses thought he was ready, but evidently God didn't think he was ready. And so circumstances arose, and it just came up naturally. And Moses was shoved off into the boondocks for four years. Forty years? Forty years? And let me tell you something. It could have been four years, and it could have been ten years. But Moses couldn't have been meet in that length of time, or God would have let it be that time. Forty years. And you know... I think we can say that probation probably basically is a 40-year period because 40 is the number of probation, if I'm remembering correctly. And some of us are awfully near, and some of us have gone beyond that point. And have you been sufficiently meet by God? And if we're honest with ourselves, we can identify with Paul quite ably when he says, In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. When I would do good, I always do it. No, he didn't say that at all. He said, In my flesh dwelleth no good. He says, And when I would do good, what is? Evil is present. Have you found that to be your experience? I've known many times to do the right thing, but my nasty, carnal, Adamic nature always gets in there some way to prevent me, to prevent me from manifesting the spirit of this man here, who is supposed to be our example. What kind of an example are we out on our jobs? And what kind of example are you in the home? You know, when you're not around all of what are you, just, just what are you in that home? Just what are you? Does that make you feel uncomfortable? I hope it does. And if you don't, I've got some deadheads in the audience. Because it ought to make you feel uncomfortable. There's a lot of things in the Scripture that makes us feel uncomfortable. Or it should. 
Now Moses is finally meek. He's got the most beautiful attitude. Now he comes forth, and he's an old... Really, we say he's an old, 80-year-old man. Really, he's not. You know, Moses died at 120, and it says his natural strength was not abated. He was still a vigorous person when he died. But here he comes along at 80 years old, and he really is ready to do God's work. And brothers and sisters, well, I, I, I may be speaking basic to the brothers, but it would apply to sisters as well. Have you ever had the experience of thinking that you were quite a, a nice little vessel that God could use? You know, that was touched upon last night also. And you think you're ready. And God may let you, He may condescend to your low estate and allow you to do some work in the truth. And your little head may start getting inflated. Let me tell you something before I go on. There's not a brother in this audience that hadn't had an inflated head. You too, Blair. <laughs> and I know I've been sick with the problem. And you too, Tom. And Jim Malay, you're one of them. Listen, this is real stuff we're talking about, am I? You know, Blair, Blair, you are absolutely right. And by the way, this is not foreign to us. What did the Apostle Paul say? There was a thorn given him in the flesh to do what? That he not, might not be what? How's it stated? Somebody's quoted for me. Exalted above man. He says that I might not get the big head. That's actually what he was saying. And if a man of the caliber of Paul had to say that, you mean there's a brother in this audience that can't say it about himself? Boy, if you are that type, you better wake up and smell the coffee. And by the way, along this same line, have you had this experience, brothers? God has seen fit to use you in some of this wonderful work. And you get this inflated idea about yourself. And I'm telling you, he can slap you down so easy. He can just put you right in the dust. And you know my, you know what? He might leave you there one year, two years, three years. And if you don't leave the, learn the lesson, you might just continue to stay there. But if you really do wake up, and really are humble, and you really become more godlike, and you and you really are learning that God is not an unreasonable Father, and He will, He has, He will pick you up, and He will put you in a leadership role again when He's ready for you. And who knows better the timing when that child can be used again? It's God. Have any of you brothers ever suffered a period of of non-activity in the truth? Well, if you haven't, I say you need it. Ooh, this is quiet in here. Well, I've had it. And I guarantee you, I needed it. I needed it. And I thank God for it because it said something mean. Here's what it said to me. You incorrigible son, you little creep, I'm 
I love you enough to chasten you. Do you parents really love your children enough to chasten your parents? I mean, chase. Yeah, some of that happens too. To chasten your children? That's what they need. It's, a, it, it's the most, it's the greatest manifestation of love if it is done in love. But sometimes we do things our children when we're just so agitated, we just want to beat the living daylights out of them because we're angry. Of course, that's not the right attitude, but tell me any parent here hadn't had that experience. Somebody mentioned Joseph this morning. He is a Christ-like. He, he, he was a, an example of Christ. He, it, it's one of the most beautiful characters in the Bible, I think you'd have to admit. And yet, did Joseph need meeking? Absolutely. And God started meeking Joseph at the age of 17. Look at Genesis 37, 2 through 4. And Blair, if you will, read uh, 2 through 4 of Genesis 37. And uh, this, this is a beautiful biblical character. Genesis 37, 2 through 4. We, we could like to read other things, but it just takes too much time to read, and I have to start being selective. And when they see Joseph coming, and they knew J Jacob just loved this boy. And I can just imagine them saying, here comes that little twerp. We'll, we'll, we'll do him in the day. And so he comes along, and of course he gives them a report of what the brothers were doing, and that didn't sit well with them. And so we know the story that the family members put him in a very serious, precarious position, and then Joseph's trials begin. And we see the man growing, and of course we know the end of the story. The man has grown to a tremendous stature, and he has such a beautiful attitude uh, after it's all over with. And we find that attitude found in, uh, well, it's found in Genesis 45, 5 through 8. And Jim, uh, Malay, if you'll read those verses for us from Genesis 45. This is the spirit of Joseph. After the way they treated him, this is his spirit. And by the way, this is a manifestation. He's able to take this attitude because he had such a marvelous vision. He had such a faith. And that's the same faith that Moses had. He was able to put aside the comforts of Egypt because he had such a tremendous respect to what the end result was. And that's exactly what God is trying us right now. He's asking us, can you utilize the experiences of natural mortal life to such an extent that you can see the vision and you've got a, such a clear vision of eternal life that you actually can take whatever comes in the mortal sojourn. And that's where it all is at, is how we are reacting in our natural daily life. Now let's have these scriptures read from Genesis 45, 5 through 8.
What a wonderful spirit. He made that comment there. Uh, you didn't send me here. God sent me. But you notice how naturally it happened? Usually when things of anything like that happens to us, we're always angry and we've got a little vindictive spirit against our adversaries. You did, you did me wrong. You really did me wrong. I'll never forget this. And I'm telling you, if God took that stinking little attitude towards us, there wouldn't be a hope for any of us. And that's a little, that's a little narrow-minded attitude that we have. We better be careful with that attitude. I don't care what our enemies have done to us. Be careful how you react to it, holding grudges. And by the way, am I saying this happens always outside the household? Some of the most trying personalities are right in the body. In fact, probably some of them right here in this room. In fact, I know there is. Because we've all been a trial to one another, haven't we? Of course, now I haven't been a trial to anybody. But I know that, that there can be some trying personalities in the truth. We've got some back in our state. Whew. But do I need to dwell on that? No, I need to dwell on what Ned O'Kelly is doing. Because there's people there that think that I'm a trying personality. And maybe, or I am. So Joseph saw in faith, he said, God sent me here. And yet it was through a very natural, evil, vengeful means that this happened. And of course, we know what happened to Joseph. Can you imagine? You know, it's one thing to be uh, condemned or falsely accused. I mean, it's one thing to be accused of something that you're guilty of. But to be accused of something that you're completely innocent of is a tough pill to take. And so Joseph has a lying, conniving woman who was the actual culprit in the whole situation. And she tells her husband, you know, this guy that you brought in here, he tried to rape me while you were gone. And of course now, you, you, how much do you think that Joseph, that the, father, that the husband listened to Joseph? Joseph says, oh, there's no, it's no such word truth in it. Well, now who's that husband probably going to, to look at your own wife today? Who would you possibly believe? Your wife. Well, he believed his wife. And then Joseph suffered the consequences. And I don't know, maybe some of you know, Joseph was in prison for quite a long time. And you can imagine the trying of his faith, and you can imagine the prayers that were poured out to God to remove him from the... He knew he was innocent, and yet God let him stay there week after week, month after month. And, and to my best of my knowledge, I, think, I know he stayed there two years, and he might have stayed there longer. If anybody wants to come to me later and tell me that they found how long he stayed there, I'd be interested in hearing what you've got to say because it was some length of time, and this was a very deep trial to this man. And the man was being meek. And if you're under a trial today in your life, God is, that is, if we've got faith and if we believe that there's divine providence working in our lives, if you don't believe it, I know you're not going to successfully endure the trial. But if you do believe that God's working, try to see 
God, and he will, God sees this. He does. And he's going to remove it when he's ready to remove it. And he's... Let me ask you this question. Do you not think God is wise? You most certainly... In fact, he's all wise. And is he not a God of love? He most certainly is a God of love. Do you think he knows when to quit using, using the chastening rod? Or do you think he's going to beat you half death? And you, and you know, I have wondered in my own life, and I know you have too. I, I said, God, you, you said that he, you'll not try me more than I can bear. Well, look, I think it's time to quit hitting me. I, I think I've had enough. But he didn't think it was enough because he kept on. And I learned later it wasn't enough. But when it was enough, you know what he quit doing? He laid the rod aside. Haven't you had that experience? You sure? Most of us have. He just is not going to lay the rod on. And if, if, if your trial goes on too long, it might be because you're not learning the lesson. You may not be learning the lesson. Whew, do I know that? And I wish you hadn't even brought it up. It, it, it's absolutely right. You, you, you've learned the lesson from it. It's just like our children. And then, and then, then, then you fall back and on and then he says, okay, I, I told you. And he picks it up and he starts whopping you again. Right, B? I'm glad you said that because you said, well, I don't need that. Well, I, was going to be, I, was going to be, I was going to be upset. Now, something else about faith. And this, this would take quite a bit of faith and we're all familiar with it. When Joseph died, he said, now I know that there's coming a time when you're going to leave Egypt. And he says, I don't want you to forget me. I want you to pick up my coffin and I want you to take it back with you to the land of promise. Now that's quite a, a large item to ask of someone. And sure enough, he died in Egypt and he lay there. I, I don't know exactly know how many years later. It was quite a long time. And when the time came for deliverance, and Moses and Aaron are the leaders hear that it's close to three million people at least that leave. Think of it, three million people. A lot of American cities aren't anywhere near that side. You've got all this horde of people coming in. Somebody has got to be in charge of the box, the casket. And there's Joseph embalmed and he's laid out and he, looks, he just looks like he's asleep. They pick that thing up and they start out. And I think Blair mentioned the other night, they actually could have gone there in 12 days. But because of the stiff-necked attitude they had, God put the chastening rod to them for 40 long years. And whenever that tabernacle was moved or put up or what, somebody, and I probably it wasn't always the same persons, but somebody had to say, go over and get the box, pick it up, and start that carrying that corpse off that part. Forty years they did that. Does that say anything about faith? You know, I can imagine maybe someone saying, look, leave that box behind. I'm getting tired of that situation. And they say, what do we need to carry that jerk around for? And so therefore, they carried for 40... And by the way, it took faith to do that. It took faith to do that. And we know when we look at Joshua 2432, uh, this brother on the front, would you read that? Joshua 
2432 and look in here and it finally arrives and Blair you said 192 years now get this it finally gets to where it's going Now, Christ is the resurrector. Could Christ have resurrected Joseph in Egypt or was his power limited? He could only do it in, in the land of Israel. Well, we know it wasn't. So why does Joseph put all, all this work on these people carrying his body? His faith was so great and so bright that he wanted to wake up in the promised land. Now the question is, where will Joseph wake up? Just exactly where they buried him. And that's faith. That's an attitude of faith. He knew that sometime in the future that he would wake up and he wanted to wake up in the place that was promised. Now faith in marriage is a very tough testing ground. And one of the there's a restriction, and these are some instances where people can fall because they don't have the faith. Look at 1 Corinthians 7.39, and Brother David Hill, will you read that for us? And this is a restriction. I'm using this in a little different context, but it still brings out the point. Young people, or mostly the time, most of the time it's young people, have to make a decision as to whether to marry or who to marry. And, and you know, we think, well, well, surely a believer. But there's a lot of us that married unbelievers. There's girls that will get attracted to an alien boy away at school, and they can't put aside their emotional involvement and their faith isn't great enough and so they don't pay any attention to does God really mean that only or can we just take liberty with and say, well, I think I have the right to make my choice. And they make their choices. But it says, only. Say, for instance, that you learn the truth after you had been married to a, a man or woman for years and you become a believer. Believe in the Scriptures. Cover this point. And this point, and this is another act of faith, this point is covered in the 12th verse through the 16th verse. And David, Boston, if you can read it loud enough, you read this for us. 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, the 12th through the 16th verse. And these are acts of faith. These are living acts of faith. How do we react 
to, to just normal situations in life. There's a lot of domestic situations in the body of Christ that is covered by this situation. And there are believing mates living with unbelieving mates. And Paul said that be imitators of him as he also was of Christ. And so you can take the advice of Paul as being sound advice to follow. And so he says, if you're living with an unbelieving mate, and they are pleased to continue to dwell with you, then he says, do that very thing. Because he said, how do you know that your influence eventually will bring that unbelieving mate into a believing covenant position? And not only that blessing is potentially probably in the future, but he says your children are special because of that believing mate in the home. And this requires faith. This is a part of living faith by brothers and sisters in the marriage state. And in 2 Corinthians 6, and this will be found in the 14th verse, and the 17th verse through the 18th verse, and I, I don't think I'll take time to read the whole thing, but it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the reason for it is, and this is when you're marrying an unbeliever, when you're a believer and you, you go out and deliberately date and marry an unbeliever, and it's because, he said, they will turn your heart from me. Well, by the way, we might ask the question, have any Christadelphian hearts been turned from God by their unbelieving mate? Are there, are there uh, brothers and sisters today that possibly might not be at this Bible school? They may not even be attending your ecclesia now because there's an unbelieving mate that's having the influence on their uh, spiritual life. Well, sure that's the situation in too many cases. And then in 1 Peter 3, and this is something uh, it requires faith. It, it's living faith in the home. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. David, would you, David Hill, would you read these verses for us, please?
You know, if a husband and wife are agitating and pulling against one another in the home, there, there, there's a, a, a very serious thing here that your prayers could be hindered. And they can be. And do you wives, do you sisters in Christ believe and have you felt like this, what Peter is saying and it's saying all over the Scriptures, do you feel like this is trying your faith? And I think it would be. But if you are passing the test, at least part of the time, and you're trying, it's recognized as a sweet-smelling savor in God's sight. And you are growing to be a more Christ-like woman. And what do you think the Scripture means when it says down here in the 6th verse, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, or her head, whose daughters you are. You are the daughters of Abraham, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. In other words, you're not afraid to do the right thing because you've got your vision on the future. I didn't mean to put this up here right away, but I think I'm going to do it, and I, hope, I don't like to get caught uh, in the middle of this thing as I try to uh, go through this. And I wish that, if you will, if I don't uh, finish this just on the dot, will you bear with me and let's get this thought out of our way so I won't be caught in the middle of it. If you're so interested in going after that natural food, well, take out now. But if, you're, if you can sit here a little longer with me, well, I wished you would. <clears throat> now, in Acts 5, 1 through 10, we have Ananias and Sapphira. I'll just put S there because I've run out of board. And maybe I can't spell it either. And then Acts 18, 1 through 3. You have Aquila and Priscilla. We've got a pers two Priscillas in this audience. You listening? In Genesis 19, 15 through 26. 
Lot and wife. And then you have 1 Samuel 25, 32, 36 through 42. I wish I had more room. I'm, gonna, I'm going to have to put it... Well, all right, I'm just going to say it, but it, visual education is better, but I haven't got... Now, what you have here, and this, this is living faith. This is living the truth. In this account, Ananias and Sapphira, they were just as greedy as they could be. By the way, uh, let's go over and read that. Acts 5... 1 through 10. Let's just look at their problem. Would you read that for us, please, here on the front? Acts 5, 1 through 10. But a certain man named Ananias, with the fire of his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hast Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. And gave up the spirit. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then shall she down straightway at his feet, and yield up the Spirit. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carried her, buried her by her husband. Uh, the mothers have to go get these children. I can't hold you. We, we might get to this tomorrow. I'm sorry I started it.